Hey guys, just want to say a big thank you to every single person who's rating and reviewing this podcast. It is so meaningful to me, it really helps. So today I want to do a special shout out to Peace Bra and their review. My partner suggested I listen to your podcast, Why Your Gender and Sexuality Shouldn't Matter, and I'm glad she did. I am a proud trans man from Australia and could connect with so much of this podcast. From never truly having felt like a lesbian to finally making the choice for my happiness is becoming my most authentic self. It's nice not to feel alone in this somewhat testing journey we get to call life. Thank you so much to Nia and Maddie for your inspiring words of your own personal journey and also to you, Lisa, for bringing such education into this world. Liam. Thank you, Liam. That really means a lot to me and to this team. So thank you so much for that review. Growing up watching Xena, the warrior princess, today's woman of impact was so riveted by seeing this strong female character on weekly television. But what she didn't realize was that one day, young girls all around the world would too be watching her play an iconic badass role on TV. But like any success story, an overnight success was actually years in the making. At the age of 18, after her first acting role in a Lifetime movie, she decided to take a chance. She decided to leave Caprica and move to LA to battle it out with one of the most difficult industries in the Galactica, Hollywood. But the 0.0086% chance of succeeding didn't faze her because her intense power of belief was like rubbing a genie and Will Smith appearing. Her wish of undeniable success came true. After bravely taking on the critics by revising the iconic 1978 male character role Lieutenant Starbuck in Battlestar Galactica, she very quickly broke the misconception and proved that iconic roles do not rely on gender, but rather impact. Nominated for four Saturn Awards and winning the award for Best Supporting Actress in Television, her impact on sci-fi fandom was now undeniable. But soon after wrapping the incredibly successful show, she got some devastating news. She was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. But damn, it's gonna take more than that to slow this woman down. She put on her flight suit and went to battle. A battle she ended up winning. Going on to star in the A&E and Netflix drama Longmire and with appearances in Star Wars The Clone Wars, Law and Order 24, CSI and The Big Bang Theory to name just a few, it is clearer than a flawless diamond that this woman is the epitome of bad arsery. So please help me in welcoming the woman whose charity organisation Fly Free was created along with her mother to be able to give back to those in need. The woman who produces and stars in the super exciting Netflix sci-fi series Another Life. And the woman who through television and entertainment empowers us all to see that strength, both internal and external, is not just fiction. The fracking unstoppable Katie Sackhoff. <laughs> that was amazing thank you so much welcome to the show thank i had you. so much fun with like the analogies that you guys use i in know there's so many fracking good ones all over the place <laughs> yeah. like it's like i have no shortage of when people come up to me at conventions and ask me what to write i've got a myriad of different things to write down that are so inspirational just from that show so that's amazing yeah well you've had an incredible life so far and where i want to start is when you wanted to act, mm. um, I believe that you said that to your family, like they were super supportive, but even if they wouldn't support you, that you would, they would have lost you. Yeah, it was, a, it was a very interesting conversation to have with my parents who had a very specific 
pattern or, or, or ladder for me to climb as what they saw to be successful. They wanted me to graduate high school, go to college, get out of college, come back and take over my dad's business, get married, have babies, the whole, the whole stereotypical thing mm. that my parents wanted me to do. And from a very young age, I realized that that wasn't right for me. Mm. And then when I told my parents I wanted to move to Los Angeles, I said, I love you. Um, I respect you so much and I appreciate your support. I would like it, but if you can't give it to me, I'm gonna go because I need to do this. Where did you find that strength? Because that's one thing so many people battle with is yeah. going against your parents' um, wants, needs, desires. Yeah, I mean, first off, I had these amazing role models of what success looked like, mm. individual success. Um, and so for me, they inspired me, I think, more than, than they probably wanted to for an 18-year-old because I was fiercely independent from a very young age. Um, I spent a lot of time by myself doing what I wanted to do um, when I was a kid. And so I don't think it shocked them mm. when I said this. Which, so I did have their support as long as I were enrolled in community college. Really? So they kind of gave you that stipulation? They did. They was did. there any fear though that, um, let's say they turned around and they said, no, we don't support you and if you leave, this goes against the family. Did you ever fear that? I think individually we, we all have to like ask ourselves what kind of a life we want, we want to live and it's different for everyone, right? But for me, I needed to live my own life. I needed to say, I appreciate you, I love you, I wouldn't be who I am without you, but now I need to go do this on my own. And I think my courage and that sort of drive and ambition came from every time someone told me no, it made me work harder. because. Part of me wanted to prove them wrong, but at the same time, I thought, oh gosh, people must think this is impossible. Well, nothing's impossible. I'll show them. I'll show them nothing's impossible. Um, and so that's always been my sort of driving force is, ja is that I, I wanted to live to my fullest and do as much as I could in this one life that we get. I love that. Because when I looked up the stats, because I was like, I had a curiosity, like how difficult is it to get into Hollywood? Like what are the chances? 0.0086% of a chance to make it in Hollywood. You know, when I first moved here, I heard a couple things. Um, besides that it'll never happen. Well, I heard that you'll get one out of every 50 auditions. So I had a check mark, I had a board. And every time I didn't get something, I marked it down with pride and excitement because I was one step closer to that 50. And that to me was, then I didn't, I didn't sit on that failure. It was a step to get to the yes, which I knew was inevitable. And then somebody told me that 99% of people at, within a year quit. And I thought, if I can just outlast that 99%, then I'll make it. It's all about perspective, right? It is, failure doesn't exist. Like it's, that's a construct that we've created from in society to like, I don't know, punish ourselves. I don't know what, it, you know, all failure is, is it didn't go the way you wanted, but it doesn't mean that an, a result wasn't achieved. A result that's going to get you someplace else that is probably farther than you ever thought. So, okay, so you, you're in Hollywood, mm -hmm. um, having that mentality that I will succeed, but competition, I mean, God, it's, 
if ever there's a place where it's ever present, it's Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And I've got a quote of yours, actually, that you say, um, there are no walls. You can't judge your life by someone else. You can only do your best. Mm -hmm. How do you keep that mentality in a profession that is so based on comparison and competition and being better than the other person? My dad told me when I first moved down here that I better know damn well what makes me special. Um, and he said, there's going to be a million girls that look just like you. There are a million girls that were the most talented in their hometown. There are a million girls that are just as talented and just as driven. What makes you different? And if you don't know that, then it's not going to work. Um, and so it made me look at everyone like, oh, of course there's going to be 800 blonde girls at this audition. They're all here. Of course they'll be here. What makes me different? And I didn't realize it in the beginning of my career. I, didn't, I couldn't pinpoint it. And I think what it ultimately became was that I had this ability to mix strength and these really, really strong women with this vulnerability that added to their strength um, as opposed to being a detriment. Um, and I think that that was... <clears throat> What I managed to do with Starbuck and what made people sort of sit up and take notice was that, you know, I played this woman that on, on paper was incredibly strong and driven and, you know, pig-headed and, and masculine and all of these things. And I played her with an intense vulnerability that made her relatable. And so I think that that was that moment where I went, oh, I know what it is now, Dad. I get it. I get it. Um, I moved here, I was 18 years old, I was blonde, I was bubbly, I was, you know, from a small town, I was so, like, vulnerable, and, and they wanted me to be pigeonholed mm -hmm. as this, like, ditzy blonde girl. Right. Um, and I think the moment I had the ability to sort of, like, take a little bit of control over my career, um, I shifted and went a different direction. Um, because... I was told to lose weight constantly. I was told that, you know, I needed to change my last name. I needed to change my color of my hair. I needed to try and do this and this and all of these things because they wanted me to look like someone else mm. or be someone else and take away all that authenticity that makes us all individuals, you know? Like, there is not one person on this planet that is the same as you, is the same as me. We all have different DNA. We're constantly changing. We're not going to be the same person now that we were five minutes ago. And, and that is who you are. And so if you just dig inside yourself and figure out who you are, you'll find what makes you different than everybody else because you already are. You just need to figure, you just need to highlight it, you know? How do you stay strong to that? So your dad's advice is incredible. Yeah. Um, so that's in the back of your mind, I'm sure. But when you've got, let's say, casting directors and agents and everyone saying, like, you need to lose weight, you need to look like this, you need to do that, how do you stay strong in your conviction that that's not the right answer? Because you mm. desperately want to succeed. And so, of course, here I am thinking, 0.08% chance. Yeah. Well, I've got someone right in front of me saying, if you do this, then you'll get a role. Mm. How do you not just succumb to it? My mom and dad really supported me, even if they didn't believe it. My mom used to say the hardest thing for a parent is that their child is going to hurt and they can't fix it. Mm. And she said, "This we knew nothing of this business. Like, we're from a small town. We didn't know anything. So I would call them and cry and cry and cry and, and be so upset. And my mom would, she would just, she wouldn't, <clears throat> my mom wouldn't talk me through it. She didn't want to sit on it. She wanted to just say, okay, 
wipe away the tears, figure mm -hmm. it out, and get up. Just get up and figure out who you want to be and don't do it. My mom was like, don't do it. You know, don't do anything that compromises you. And I always sort of had this thing that, that if I couldn't go home and, and tell my parents what I did that day, then I didn't live to my own moral compass. If I couldn't go sit down with my mom and say, I'm going to take these diet pills. I'm okay. so proud of that decision. Oh. And if I couldn't tell her that, then I shouldn't do it. And mm. I, I turned down a lot of um, opportunities to be on the cover of magazines with half my clothes off and, you know, to do a role where I had to take my top off. And I didn't want to establish myself as an actress mm. as that. Mm. That's amazing. Okay, so you're... You take this role as Starbuck. Yeah. Now, how much critical um, backlash did you get initially? Because, so the people at home may not know, the role was originally um, a male role. Yeah. And so you come in, did you have any um, fear mm. in that? And was there so much pressure that, um, did you... Was there so much pressure on you to have to play it a certain way? Yeah, it's funny because, you know, when Battlestar came out, the internet barely existed. That's true. So it was like 2002. That's true. There was no social media. I barely had a cell phone. You know, I had to go down to an internet cafe and buy like 20 minutes to go on the chat boards and see what people were saying oh. about Starbucks. And we were booed at Comic-Con the first time. I remember wow. that. That was really fun. Uh. <laughs> All right, so, so take me through that, right? Like, I'm sure, <laughs> fun, quote unquote. How do you handle that? Like, you're getting booed. Mm. It's like, you must have been so ecstatic over mm -hmm. the role. Yeah. Um, how do you emotionally um, stay resilient to that? Those moments are re they're really hard. I still have those moments now. I mean, everyone has, mm. you, you, I don't think you'd be human if you didn't mm. to a certain extent in that one moment feel slightly disappointed by reaction that somebody gave you. But so much of this happened with that blissful ignorance of youth. Um, I was 22. I was so driven because I didn't think failure was an option. And I was so driven because of course I was going to succeed. Um, I was so egotistical in that that I think it, it, it shoved me through those mm. moments without skills. Well, so, now that you don't have the blissful ignorance, mm. how do you handle things like that? Backlash or? Um, those moments are really hard, but you know, you can't win everyone. You know, mm. art is very subjective mm. and, and what we do is, is a form of art, I believe. And so not everyone is always gonna like what I do. Not everyone is always going to like me. I may not be your cup of tea, and that's totally fine. Yeah. You know, thank God there's enough people in the world that you know maybe I don't have to hear it. Right. Um, no, but it's it's um, yeah, it's those moments are hard. I take moment. I I I try to sit by myself a lot in those moments mm -hmm. and sort of, you know, ask myself why it it hurts. Ask myself why other people's opinions matter so much to me still, mm -hmm. um, and then. Uh, flip it into a positive and then just keep going, you know? Yeah, I love that. I actually have another quote of yours. This <laughs> hit me so hard, I like had to stop in my tracks and write this down. <laughs> um, you have to sit in that sadness, sit in your fear, run toward it in order to understand why that moment or thing is making you sad or upset or fearful or anxious. It's the only way to really find out who you are and change. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Talk to me about that. 
Um, How do you sit in the fear? How do you sit in that sadness? Because everyone wants to right block it out. Yeah, we're we're taught, at least society taught me that crying made me vulnerable, losing control made you crazy, making bad decisions made you stupid. Mm. All of these things we're told make you something, um, but we're all just doing the best that we can. I had an intense, hard breakup uh, over a year ago now, like almost two years ago now, and everyone wanted me to be over it. I kept hearing, you should be over this by now. You've cried enough. You know, he was this, he was that, you're so lucky, blah, 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 all of these things that people say and tell you to make you feel better. And it didn't make me feel better. I needed to sit in that and cry my eyes out and be angry and scream into a pillow and fight my own instincts to want to do things that were potentially uh, negative for me and reach out again or do whatever it was to move through that so I wouldn't put myself in a situation again where I was ever that taken advantage of or ever that mistreated. Um, We sometimes... I've done this, we, we, we move through emotions so quickly because to feel them feels, we would rather cover it up. It's so much easier to numb ourselves, to go drink a bottle of wine, to go do whatever the thing is that you do to numb yourself. I drink a bottle of wine, that's my thing. And I'm not gonna say I didn't do that, but to feel it and to ask yourself why it hurts so much and why your, your ego is attached to this person not wanting you anymore or whatever it was, lets you then put it to bed when you're done. Mm. And only you can decide when you're done, when you've cried enough, when you've finally moved on, you know, and then you're done. God, that's so good. Yeah, I used to think that um, feeling emotion, sitting with it made me weak. Isn't that funny? As women, we're, well, men too. God, men probably get it more than we do, yeah. you know? But, but we're trained to think that allowing someone to hurt our feelings mm-hmm. makes us weak. Mm-hmm. But allowing your feelings to be hurt just means that it mattered to you. It just means it mattered, you know? And God forbid you get to the end of your life and nothing ever hurts you because then nothing ever mattered. That's so true. Wow, that was amazing. Well, um, yeah. Do you ever, did it feel like people were being dismissive at all when they're like, you should be over it now? It's almost like you can't recognize, like, oh, I shouldn't be able to recognize my emotions now, or now mm-hmm. my emotion, am I being overly emotional? And then you start yeah. judging yourself. And- yeah. I had this when I had my cancer as well, mm-hmm. that after two years of treatment, being the cancer was gone, my treatment was over, everyone just kept saying, I want you to be better. I want you to be better. I I want you to be back to who you were. And I remember sitting there and thinking to myself, damn it, let me feel sorry for myself for five seconds. You know, this moment changed who I am and I'm angry and I'm sad and I'm scared and all of these things just let me feel something and not have to help you feel okay with my sadness. You know, and that was really strange for me because I felt responsible for everyone else around me because they felt so bad for me. And I just needed to work my way through it and give myself permission to 
feel scared and to feel guilty and to feel all of these emotions that being sick brought out in me. We're allowed to feel, feel bad when something doesn't go the way we want it mm -hmm. to go. We're allowed to take a moment to go, why me? Mm -hmm. It's okay. It doesn't make you a bad person. If you stay too long in that place, maybe you should get some help. But, you know, whatever that help looks like for you. But, you know, for me, I needed to sit there and just go, okay, great. And I needed to pick myself back up again. Mm. No one else could do that for me. Why do you think that's so important? It's the only thing that gives you strength of character to continue forward if you pick yourself back up again. You know, it doesn't mean that we can't lean on other people, mm. right? I mean, you know, we're only as good as the community that we surround ourselves with. But, like, ultimately, at the end of the day, you have to be the one that, that is responsible for your future and, and what you want it to look like. And so in order to do that, it's individual, and you have to just figure out what it looks like for you. And for me, it, it was yelling and screaming at a wall and crying and feeling sorry for myself. And then I got to the point where I was tired of feeling sorry for myself. Yeah. Um, I hear you say that you don't believe in regrets. Mm. Um, why is that? And how do you actually yeah. avoid regretting something? Yeah. I worked really hard to like myself because for a long time I didn't. I was sad a lot. Um, I didn't have a voice. Um, I, I didn't stand up for myself. I um, was sort of miserable. Um, and if I was miserable, I made people around me miserable. I whined a lot. I didn't like myself at all. And so I did a lot of work to like the person that I am. And it was a long road. And if I like who I am, I can't regret anything because it was all a step to get me to who I am right now. Mm -hmm. So I don't believe in regrets. Even all the bad decisions I made in my life, all the times I regrettably hurt people's feelings, all the times that I hurt myself, um, led me to this person. You never know how your life is going to look. We never get to appreciate the life as the story, the whole book of our lives until the very end of your life. You, you, don't, you don't have that option to look back and see that everything mm. happened and became this beautiful story. Uh, ups, downs, you know, um, losses, success, um, you know, deaths and births, all of these things that have sort of formed who we are. At the end of your life, you get, back, you get to look back and appreciate it or, or you know, have regrets or whatever they are. Um, and so I just like to say that this is a step on the journey of life mm -hmm. and it didn't go the way I wanted but that doesn't mean anything it doesn't mean it was just that was a moment let's move let's keep going you know because the next one could be very different and I try to learn from it you know every every moment is a teaching opportunity and, and a moment to learn more about yourself and the mistakes that you've made and what you could have done different and um, and so I don't it, it may not work out you know the way that I wanted it to but what a great experience, yeah. you know? What, how fun is that to, I mean, I don't know if the show is gonna get picked up for a second season, but for one whole season of 10 episodes, I had my own show on Netflix and I was on a billboard in Times Square. Right! Like, that's awesome. All right, what's next, Yeah. you know?
Yeah. I think about re regrets a lot because I'm the same. Like, Do I you? never want to have a regret. Yeah. So I'm always saying, how can I learn from this? Even if it's like the worst case scenario, so that I'll never look back and say, oh, I wish I'd done, uh, I'd regret it. Because yeah. I do think like, I wish I'd done something differently, but it's yeah. very different to like regretting it. And I watched a video of yours where you um, had announced that you were going to go off social media mm. for a month because um, members of your family had got into a car accident. Right. And you give a message straight to camera and you say, don't just text someone I love you. Mm -hmm. And I text my family, I love them. Mm -hmm. And when you said that straight to camera and you're like, call them, spend time with them. Yeah. I need constant reminding of that. Yeah. So I was so thankful for that piece of advice. Oh. Um, but talk to me about how you'd gone to that point, mm -hmm. if, if you don't mind sharing. No, of course. Um, text messaging is so convenient. You know, but I think that what it's done is it has removed a connectivity that we have to mm -hmm. other human beings and, and, and emotional connection that m fills you with endorphins and makes you feel something, that, that real connection. Um, um, w one of my closest friends took his life by suicide um, almost two years ago. And I remember the last text message I got from him. And I remember texting him back, too busy, maybe next time, love you tons. And that moment to me, I've had so many dreams that like I picked up the phone or like I wasn't too busy or I made time. I had time. I had time. I, you know, I just, I was living in my own world and never dreamed I wouldn't have tomorrow, mm. you know? Um, and I don't believe that I could have changed the outcome of, of my friend taking his life. Mm. But what I could have done was in that one moment made sure that he knew that I loved him, even though I'm sure he did know. Mm. Um, but I would have given him a, a little bit of a little bit more, yeah. a little bit more, you know. Um, and so when, when my family members got in this accident, it was a moment where I realized that I had been giving too much of myself to this device. And so I put it down for a month and, you know, um, really connected with people and, and really made sure to, to call people. And um, for my YouTube channel, we did 72 hours without electronics. And that was, it was so, that was crazy because that wasn't even just removing the social media aspect right. of it, which I did. That was removing everything for three days. No phone, but my house phone. And it's the most confident I have ever felt in my entire life. Most confident? Confident. Why is that? Because I didn't have the email. I didn't have the text message. Nobody had any way to get a hold of me except my house phone. So when I was out and I was running errands oh. or spending time with my dogs or doing whatever, I, I was only doing and paying attention to what was in my mm. direct radius. And I felt so calm and sort of centered um, and undivided. You know, I always feel so scattered and divided. Um, and it was, it was very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So talking about this new show, yeah. Another Life, is... The trailer looks so amazing. I can't wait to watch it when this episode's out. Actually, it's, it's live, so go check it out, guys. Yes. Um, talk to me about the story of starting this, because 
I had an interview with you and I didn't realize it was a really old interview. So I was listening to an interview with you and you were talking about this project that you had started and then all the problems that happened. And at the time you said, and I'm putting it to bed. Yeah. Please tell us the story. Yeah, it was. So there was a project that I had created um, myself and I'd worked on it with um, an illustrator of a friend of mine who passed away. And so I sort of put it to bed for a while and then I picked it back up again and started um, pitching it with a producer friend of mine and he uh, passed from a very sudden heart attack and so for me in that moment I just went okay we're done with this we need to put you know we need to put this to bed so that was that project rain that I I had worked on and, and still love so much mm -hmm. um, but out of that came um, another life you know people started thinking of me as a producer and as a creator and then sort of like uh, going into sci-fi again. And I, that's how another life came back up. And, you know, it, it just, for me, going back into sci-fi was such an interesting thing because everybody loved Battlestar and Starbucks so much that I always felt that I would disappoint them. And so that was my fear. My fear was that I would just inevitably let people down um, and disappoint this fan base that had been like on this ride with me for you know, almost 20 years. Um, and then I finally just had to, you know, throw caution to the wind and just say, do the best you can, put your heart and soul into it, and no regret. Mm -hmm. How do you go through that? Because I hear a lot of people that say, my best years were my high school years, mm. right? And it's like, that is one of my biggest fears. Like, I can never think like that. Even with Quest and Impact Theory, like, the next thing I do needs to be bigger. Mm. Because I never want to look back and say, those were the best days of my life. Because yeah. then I feel like, well, what am I doing now? I'm kind of just right. waiting. Yeah, no, I, that, that is such a big fear. I mean, I've always sort of thought that, like, God, what if it never gets better than that? Right. You know? And I think that the only way to combat that, for me, that I figured out is that as long as I'm continuing to grow as a person mm -hmm. and continuing to to expand my education and who I am as a person, I can't help but get better, you know? And so it can't be the best years of my life because who I was at 21 is nowhere near who I am now. So this project has to be better, mm. you know? It has to be. It is for me. It was a much more full experience for me. Um, I had more fun making this than I did Battlestar Galactica, sorry guys, um, because I, I knew my place. Right. I knew what I wanted to do and what I wanted to accomplish from this show. Um, and, and then I became the champion for everyone else on the show. I was like mama bird on the show, like, you know, helping these young actors and, and sort of like giving advice and listening to them, you know, their, their fears and, and their insecurities. And, you know, my job on this show was to help them be the best version of them, themselves. That's so cool. Yeah. I heard you say somewhere that um, you were on a show and it was like one of the first episodes or something. There's a bunch of young people and mm. um, you caught yourself being super jaded because you're just like, they don't realize that this can get canceled any day. Um, it's easy to be jaded. You no longer have the naivety of the beginner. Yeah. And now you're jaded and you've caught yeah. yourself being jaded. How do you um, make sure that you keep catching yourself? Because that can be, I think, so destructive. Mm. Um, you have to allow people to be honest with you. You have to take a hard truth. I was listening to these young actors talk and I was completely dismissing how they felt in this moment because I'd done it. I went through it. I handled it, you'll be fine. Mm. That's not listening. 
that's, that's treating them the way that I would treat myself, which isn't right. And that's not appreciating where they are in this moment and helping them get through this to the best of their ability and the way they want to. And I, I had somebody whom I love very much call me out and say, you do realize what you're doing to these kids, that you're completely disregarding how they feel and you've got to sit there and realize how that makes them feel. That you just made them feel like their, their fears or their insecurities are completely unworthy. And I was like really upset. So I took a deep breath and I went for a walk around the block a few times and I came back and I realized you are absolutely right. You are absolutely right. Thank you so much for telling me something that was not fun to hear. Everyone's just doing the best they can and who am I to, to disregard the way someone else is feeling, mm. you know? Um, and, and that's an important lesson to learn. We need to always allow people around us to tell us the truth no matter how hard it is because that's how we're gonna grow. But those aren't fun moments when people tell you that you're doing something wrong. Um, as a producer, has mm. that changed how you handle people in general, in, like in the business on, yeah. a, on a set? Yeah, it has. It's made me much. It's made me a much better listener, mm. um, I think, and it's made me much um, more concerned with the collective mm. community on a set. I think that being a producer has made me want to create an environment to work in that everybody enjoys and that everybody feels open to express themselves in a very safe environment where you can be whatever you want to be. You can try whatever you want to try. Um, and that comes with, with, I think, myself being as vulnerable as possible and, and asking people what they think, you know? Yeah. Has it, um, I think I heard you say something about, like, being a producer makes you step out of yourself when you're looking at a set or people acting and things like that. Has that, like, assessment helped you in your real life as well, of, like, looking at yourself almost from the outside? Yeah, I, I do. I think so. I think that it's sort of given me this ability to read people more and to mm. read a situation a lot better than I used to. So I, I just listen now a lot and I try to be the quietest person around, which is really hard for me because I talk a lot, um, <laughs> like a lot. <laughs> um, and I, I try to just be quiet. And, and that allows other people to step into, into the limelight and it also allows other people to sort of like um, express opinions in personal life and on, on set. Yeah. You worked out pretty damn hard for this role, correct? I did, yeah. So I heard an interview of how you'd envision the character would look and so you started going down that path. Yeah. Where do you get that discipline to stick to it? Um, because I think that that's... I don't think um, actors get enough credit of how much discipline they have to do leading up to a role like that. Yeah. Um, did you do anything to your mindset to get into that or did you already lay the groundwork over these past few years and it's allowed you to do that? In no way could I have done this 10 years ago, 15 okay. years ago. I, I wasn't prepared for the, the responsibility as an actor at that point in my life mm -hmm. or as a person. Um, I, I was very ready for it in this situation. And this was the first time in my life that I, I made a sort of promise to myself um, a few years ago that I would never go into another situation less than 100% ever again. 
for the longest time, I gave things 95% because of a fear of failure. Mm -hmm. You know, um, if it doesn't work, I have an excuse. I didn't give it everything I had. And so this is the first job where I said I'm going to give 150% and leave it all on the floor. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Um, and so I, I was very specific in how I wanted her to work um, and look on camera. Um, and it wasn't a natural sort of place for my body to sit. Um, it was not fun. It was, um, it was like the whole 30 on steroids. It was, like, <laughs> it, was, um, it was really crazy. It was a lot of working out constantly. Um, no gluten, no alcohol, no sugar, no dairy. Um, and you know, I was down to about 1,600 calories a day, which is very low for someone that's also working 16 hours a day and working out because my body doesn't naturally sit there. And I knew that I had taken it a little too far when my period stopped. Okay. And then I went, all right, maybe you should pull back a little bit. You went to where you wanted to go, now let's, let's you might have gone a little too far with this one and had to reevaluate, you know? Um, and um, so, it, but I was, I was really proud of that moment of how she looked because it was something that I worked really hard for. All right, so take me through one of those days where it's like, this really freaking sucks. Like, you're probably in a piss poor mood, am I guessing? Mm -hmm. um, you just want to eat, you don't want to work out, you want to lie in bed. It's easy to stop, right? It's easy mm. to go, screw it. Yeah. But you've taken your mindset from 95% to 150%. Yeah. What difference does that look like on that day like that? Um, I've learned to give myself perspective, okay. you know, and that I need to, in every situation of my life, look around, figure out how my life, how I'm so blessed to have what I have and the opportunities that I have, and then realize that so many people would kill to have their own TV show, and how dare I disrespect those people and I do not want to disrespect my dreams and everyone else who wants to accomplish it as well by giving it less than it deserves. Mm. I do this, this thing called the three ways game. In every situation in my life that I'm pissed off or in a bad mood or depressed or feeling sorry for myself, I come up with very quickly three ways that it could be made worse. And it, it could be as simple as mm. if you're sitting in traffic and you're late, you might miss a flight. Let's think of three ways that it could be worse. You could have a migraine, your car could break down, and maybe I w wouldn't have the financial ability to take a later flight. Mm -hmm. Three ways right there. And it makes you appreciate that you're just late for a flight. And so I think that you can do that in every, every aspect of your life. And it, it gives you perspective and it makes you feel very, very fortunate and blessed for what you do have in the moment. Wow, where did you come up with that? That's great. I'm going to steal that one. Feeling sorry for myself a lot really? about 10 years ago, yeah. Yeah, when I got sick, I, I really felt sorry for myself. And my mom pulled me aside and she said, you have no idea how lucky you are that you only have this shit. And it made me feel so guilty, but she was right. You know, like, you know, if, if everyone in the world took their shit and threw it in a pot and it got mixed up and you got to pick out anything you wanted, you would take yours back because you know how to handle it. You've lived with it, you've gone through it, you see a way through it, you know, and, and it makes you appreciate the things that you have. Um, 
And so I have a very honest mom. <laughs> yeah, you're really close to her, aren't you? Yeah, she's very important. She's the strongest woman I know. She's a really great woman. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what do you consider your superpower to be? Oh my gosh, I don't know. I think it's my. I think it's self-deprecation. Interesting. Yeah, I I think that I have I, I to not take myself too seriously. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's probably it because it it allows me to have fun. I think that's probably that's amazing. It. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so where can people find you, the new show, all of the incredible stuff that you're doing? Yeah. So I am uh, the new show's on Netflix. Um, it is streaming right now by the time this airs, yes. which go watch it. Uh, my YouTube channel is Katie Sackoff TV. Um, and uh, I'm at Katie Sackoff on social on Instagram or the real Katie Sackoff. I don't know what it is. You'll find me. Yeah. It's somewhere like that. <laughs> Google her. Guys, guys, go check this woman out. It was so much fun researching her and watching all the incredible stuff that she's doing. She's such a badass. Like, you've got to check out her content. And then just in real life, when I met her and was researching her, she's so on point about like the mindset of everything. So go check her out. You will not be disappointed. If you're not following me, follow me at Lisa Billu. And if you're not subscribed, guys, and you enjoyed this episode, press that subscribe button so you get more episodes just like this. And until next time, go be the hero of your own life. Peace out.